Welcome to the Grace Long Beach Podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening. Today's reading is John 9, 1 through 17. And Jesus walked along. He saw a man who was blind from birth. Jesus' disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned so that he was born blind, this man or his parents? Jesus answered, Neither he nor his parents. This happened so that God's mighty works might be displayed in him. While it's daytime, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said this, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva and smeared the mud on the man's eyes. Jesus said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went away and washed, and when he returned, he could see. The man's neighbors and those who used to see him when he was a beggar said, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is. And others said, No, it's someone who looks like him. But the man said, Yes, it's me. So they asked him, How are you now able to see? And he answered, The man they called Jesus made mud, smeared it on my eyes, and said, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. They asked, Where is this man? And he replied, I don't know. Then they led the man who had been born blind to the Pharisees. Now Jesus made the mud and smeared it on the man's eyes on the Sabbath day. So Pharisees also asked him how he was able to see. And the man told them, He put mud on my eyes. I washed, and now I see. Some Pharisees said, This man isn't from God because he breaks the Sabbath law. Others said, How can a sinner do miraculous signs like these? So they were divided. Some of the Pharisees questioned the man who had been born blind again. What do you have to say about him since he healed your eyes? And he replied, He is a prophet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids, you're going to stay with us today, and I'll have everybody take a seat as Daniel comes to bring us God's Word. Thank you, Rick, for that reading. It's that man's birthday today, and it's also Mike's birthday who's leading worship. And you, happy birthday. And others of you who have birthdays today, happy birthday. Way to go. Um, So... We're in a series called Seven Psalms, Seven Signs, and every week we're alternating between a psalm, um, which in which we're looking at how, do, how might a psalm show us how to interact or how we might interact with God. And we're looking at a sign on the other weeks from John, which really, I think, describes how God interacts with us, with the world. Um, and this morning, we're going to be looking at John chapter 9. Before that, though, I'd like to pray asking that God would speak. Um, We, I think, many of us come in here and we hope uh, that that something might happen. I don't know what that something might be for you. Maybe it's it's simply um, the something is 
that you are able to encounter God afresh. Um, maybe it's, it's just simply a, a time to be able to, to kind of relax um, and just sit. Maybe this is the only time that you allow yourself to just kind of sit and rest. Uh, I don't know where you are, but I know that God is present, and I, I know that God wants to speak to you um, and wants to speak to us together. So let's pray that he would and that we would hear him. God, I ask that, that we would hear your voice to us. Um, I thank you for the picture of the children this morning, um, that, that we are to be like them, that we are like them in that you want to receive us as children. Help us to be um, people who are willing to be received by you. Uh, speak to us. Help us to see in a new way. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, I know there are kids here, and I was thinking about this text in John 9, um, and the thing that came to mind was Toy Story. Um, now, this is a favorite film in the Long household. We, we love this film. But the reason why it came to mind is because I think, so it deals with two primary characters, right? You have Woody and you have Buzz. And a lot of the story and what makes it move forward is, is, a, is the character's inability to kind of understand or see or accept reality. So you have Buzz, right? This, this Ash the Space guy who who thinks that he is actually the only space man, right? That, that there is no other toy. Well, he doesn't even know he's a toy. There's no other thing like him. So he is here to protect the world from evil Emperor Zerg. There you go. Call and response. Um, so there's more where that came from. So... Uh, so, so Buzz thinks that, that he's the, the only one of his kind, right? Which drives Woody nuts. Um, and, but also Woody is a little jealous because Andy is really taking, taking notice more of Buzz and not of him, and he's playing more. And so there's this kind of jealousy going on. Well, as you know, of course, as the story goes on, Woody pushes Buzz out the window, and then all of a sudden his friends kind of get angry at, at Woody, and, and, and then Woody goes to find Buzz. And then there's this one moment. There's this one moment where, where they're left at a gas station. You know, what I'm, you know where I'm going with this. And they're left at a gas station, right? And, and Buzz is saying, what are you doing? You're, you're, you're stopping me from my mission. And, I, of course, like on the far edge of the galaxy, there's evil Emperor Zerg who who is going to be annihilating the planet. And then what, is, what does Woody say? You are a toy. Right? And he just yells it at him. You, you are an action figure. You are a child's plaything. Right? I mean, he just keeps going. He is trying to show Buzz the actual reality of what is going on, and Buzz can't see it. And because of what he believes about himself and about the world, he is actually unable to see anything else. Now, if you think about Woody, though, here is a character who is also unable to see and to recognize that perhaps his jealousy, his inability to kind of see and, and uh, hold on to the possibility that Andy can like more than one toy, actually causes him 
to completely neglect friends and relationships. And then you have these characters who over time come to realize and to see life as it really is. Buzz has to confront the fact that he is a toy. And Woody has to come to terms with the fact that Andy might like other toys just as much as him, and that's okay. So why am I talking about Toy Story at all? Because I think, as we go into this text, what we have are characters who are unable to see, either literally or figuratively, and as the text progresses, some will gain more sight and their reality or version or understanding of the world will become more clear. But then others who are unable to accept the truth, Jesus, will actually become more blind. And as a result, can never actually see who is standing right in front of them. So we're going to go into John chapter 9. If you have, well, you do have a blue Bible, you can pull it out and you can turn to page 895. And we're going to walk through the text. So as we come upon this chapter in chapter 9, um, we, you probably didn't read chapter 8, but if you were, you'd see that all throughout, even with what we've been talking about in the signs, there's this increasing tension between Jesus and the Pharisees. Jesus is doing these miraculous works. People are kind of forced to respond And the Pharisees don't get Jesus, in fact, don't really like Jesus because he keeps kind of breaking the Sabbath or these Jewish laws that they've been following, and they see him as a threat. Well, that only continues to increase, where you see at the end of chapter 8, he is almost, in fact, stoned. But then it goes into chapter 9, and you see Jesus and his disciples come across this man who was born blind. And this kind of raises a question or a discussion between the, the disciples and Jesus. They say, the disciples say, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Which assumes this kind of thought, which isn't crazy. There was this Jewish thought that, that somehow like, disability or not being able to see was connected to a person's faults or the faults of their parents. Well, Jesus sort of dismisses the question. He's not really interested in cause and effect. Rather, he gives the answer, well, actually, this, this man's blindness is going to be an occasion for God's glory to be shown. Okay, so then what does he do next? Being Jesus, he does something super weird. He, he spits on the ground enough so that he can actually make mud, right? I mean, kids, imagine this. So a man is, is spitting on the ground to make mud, And he puts it on the eyes of this blind man. That's weird, right? I mean, that seems a little strange. But then he says to the blind man, Now go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So this pool was actually excavated not too long ago. And and upon its excavation, it was kind of revealed that this was like a a, a mikvah, which is like a pool for, for cleansing before going into the temple. So why is that important? Because perhaps what Jesus wanted the man to do was to go wash, but then it was a very public place. And as we see, of course, that publicity of this man would kind of get him into some conversations. Now keep in mind, though, the blind man, as a result of having mud on his eyes, having been blind, 
going to wash, has not yet seen Jesus. He's heard the words of Jesus. He's obeyed Jesus. He goes to the pool. He, he washes. And he can now see. Well, all of a sudden, walking back, there, there's like an interrogation that's going to begin, or at least confusion at first, between neighbors. Now, let's look at this. If you want to look down to verses 8 through 12. So the neighbors and those who'd seen him before as a beggar were saying, well, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? And some said it, some says it is he. Others said no, but he's like him. And he kept saying, I'm the man. So here you have this man, you have the neighbors. Wait, is that the guy who was blind? I think it is. I don't think it is, but it looks like him. And the guy's like, no, it's me. I am the guy. I can see. So then they say, well, how are your eyes opened? In verse 10. And he answers, and he begins to tell a story for the first time in this whole text from verses 1 through 41. He says, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, Where is he? Where's Jesus? And he said, I don't know. So Jesus at this point is going to be curiously absent for about 26 verses. So Jesus does this thing where he heals this man born blind and then all of a sudden like exits the scene. And now the people who are left, you have the neighbors, you have the blind man, you're going to have the Pharisees, are kind of left to figure out what has gone on. I mean, do you ever feel like that is us? That God has done a work in our lives through Jesus, and all of a sudden we are here attempting to describe, make sense of, testify to what has actually gone on. I mean, so this man is kind of put in a position that we ourselves might be able to understand. So then the neighbors, in verse 13, they bring him to the Pharisees. In verse 14, now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So making mud, according to Sabbath law, spitting in the ground and then making mud, was you couldn't do that on the Sabbath. That would be considered work. So verse 15, the Pharisees again asked the blind man, how he received his sight. And so again, he tells his story for the second time. He says, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and now I see. It's such a simple story, yet it creates so much confusion. Well, some of the Pharisees said, this man isn't from God, nor does he keep, for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who's a sinner do such signs? And then there was division among them. I mean, such a great retort, right? Wait, this guy can't. He's a sinner. He can't do it. Well, then how is it possible that he actually did do it? And then there was division. And so they again said to the blind man, verse 17, what do you say about him? Who is he? And the man says, he is a prophet. So at first, the man doesn't know where Jesus went, right? The neighbors asked him. At this point, he begins to tell a story, and maybe he's a little bit closer to the truth of who Jesus might be. He is something like a prophet. So there's this increasing sense of sight or understanding that the blind man is undergoing in terms of who Jesus is. And perhaps on the flip side, an increasing sense of blindness on the part of the Pharisees as the text continues. Well, of course, in verse 18, the Jews didn't believe what this man was saying. And so they called the parents of the man. So they call the parents, the parents come, and, and they say, well, is this your son? And they say, I, we can tell you that's our son. But they say, well, how, is, how can he see? 
And then the parents basically throw their son under the bus and say, well, he's of age, ask him. The parents are like, I do not want any of this situation. Because they know if they say the wrong thing, they might be thrown in prison. They might be cast out. They don't want to say anything. They actually leave it up to the blind man to tell the story once again. And you will see if you turn the page to page 896. Verse 24. So for the second time, they, being the Pharisees, called the man who'd been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And this is like a testimony of all testimonies, so simple but so true. Here's the reality of my life before my encounter with Christ, and here is what I know to be true now. I was blind, but now I see. That is all I know. And isn't that the case for some of us who have encountered Christ, where people want you or want us to describe what has gone on? And we can try and we can try and we can try, but sometimes all there is to say was, is, here's what I know. Before Christ, I was this way. And now after Christ, I'm this way. I was blind, but now I see. That's truly how simple it is in terms of the testimony. Not simple in terms of the way it came about or even the confusion or the craziness that it's caused, but it's simple in the simple fact of that's all the blind man could ever say. I was blind, but now I see. So then the story continues. Verse 26, well, they said to him, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And I love, I love the blind man at this point, kind of gaining some sass here. He says, you know, I've told you already and you wouldn't listen. I mean, why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? That's so awesome. It's so great. I mean, I've already told you. You want to know, right? Because you, you obviously want to follow him. Well, you know, they didn't like that very much. And they reviled him, saying, well, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. And the man said, well, isn't this an amazing thing? I mean, you don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. So yeah, you're disciples of Moses, and you don't know who this Jesus person came from, but how do you not know? For this man has actually opened my eyes. How do you account for that truth? Verse 31, we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. That's what the blind man is saying. And they answered, the Pharisees, well, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? You were born in sin. You can't say this to us. You can't give testimony of who God is. We know. You're not supposed to know. And they didn't like him and they cast him out. And then Jesus hears that the man has been cast out. And so Jesus comes on the scene again. In verse 35, Jesus heard that they cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? A title actually connected to the Old Testament. The Son of Man. 
this title of authority coming from God. And he answered the blind man, who is he? Isn't that interesting? Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the blind man says, who is he? Remember, he has not seen Jesus. Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you've seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. And all there is left to say on the part of the blind man is this. Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And then Jesus says this. For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And then Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. So what is going on in this text? Actually, if you read it all the way through, and it's connected to like the middle of chapter 8 all the way into chapter 10. But this, this chapter, like the way that it is written is so beautiful. You have these three major movements. You have what the, the, the act of, of the, well, the miracle itself, the act of healing. And then you have um, this interrogation. And then you kind of have this proclamation, right, that this blind man makes. And then this pronouncement of judgment that Jesus gives on the part of the Pharisees. So what's going on here? Well, I think one of the main questions that this text, that this chapter is, is seeking to ask, is what does it mean to see? What does it mean to see? That is the question, right? Jesus says at the beginning of this text, I am the light, which connects to the beginning of John chapter 1, that God, in the person of Jesus, came to shine light onto the world So what does it mean to see, and what does it mean to have one's life changed by that light that's come onto the scene, that's come into the world? Well, here's one of the first things. If you were to think about the characters of the blind man and of the Pharisees, what we see in the blind man, what it takes to see, what does it mean to see, is to recognize that you're blind. In order to be healed, you need to know that you're sick. In order to receive sight in this text, you need to know that you're blind. And for the blind man, there is no question, right? He is, in fact, blind. So what does it mean to see, recognize that you're blind? Now, what else does it mean to see? It means to testify to the work of God. The blind man tells his story multiple times in this text because someone says, what happened to you? What happened to you? What happened to you? And as he tells the story, until he gets to Jesus, it's almost like he's gaining more understanding of the person of Jesus until Jesus is right in front of him. And all he has to say is, Lord, I believe, and he worships him. So what does it take to see, recognize that you're blind, and then testify to the reality that only Jesus can give you sight. That it is only Jesus that can give you sight. Now, the blind man, actually, in this text, becomes a model for what it means to be a Christian, what it means to live life following Jesus. Recognize that you need Jesus in order to see. Testify to the work of God in your life, continually and always. And as a result, your life, the way you see the world 
becomes reshaped and remade to where you can't see it any other way than through the lens of Jesus Christ. That is what it means to see. Samuel Wells puts it this way. All he, the blind man, knows is that once he was blind, but now he sees. In other words, all he knows is Jesus. It's not that he saw humanity and then Jesus. He saw Jesus and then came to understand humanity. It's not that he saw light and then saw Jesus. He saw Jesus and through him came to see the light. It's not that he saw life and then saw Jesus. He saw Jesus and then saw life. Jesus isn't an additional, curious, sometimes jarring piece of information incidental to what we already know. What we know is Jesus, and everything else is incidental. That's an amazing quote, because it is quite often easy for me to think that I come to Jesus by way of all of these other things. My understanding of Jesus is informed by all of this. But Samuel Wells in this text actually kind of subverts that and says what it means to see true understanding actually only comes by way of Jesus Christ. If you want an accurate understanding of your life and of the world and what's going on around you, there is no other way to understand that. There is no other way to have the ability to see that unless you have been made to see by Jesus. Jesus is what makes sense of the world. The world doesn't make sense of Jesus. And that's one of the things that that Jesus does. Whenever he comes onto the scene in the Bible and in our own lives, he he forces a response. He forces a, a question of how are you going to now live life in reference to him? And this text is to say your life is to be completely reordered and reshaped because of the reality of Jesus. Lord, I believe. And that is to be the beginning point of where you live. You live from that point. Lord, I believe. Lord, I was blind, but now I see. And so the world, your life, can't be the same ever again. So then what did the Pharisees show us? The Pharisees show us the reality of what it means to be spiritually blind. And maybe how that that happens or takes place. Spiritual blindness comes from the fact that you think you see. So what it means to see is to recognize that you're blind. Then to be blind is to be convinced that you already see. Now, because of the Pharisees and being kind of entrenched in their expectations and what they imagined the world to be like, they couldn't ever accept or receive God in the flesh because he didn't make sense. He didn't make sense to them in their world. Because, again, they were coming from their place of their law, their history, needing to make sense of Jesus not Jesus needing to make sense of themselves and their history. So they couldn't ever, they couldn't ever see who Jesus actually was. God coming to them in the flesh because they were spiritually blind, because they, were, they would never be opened 
to the work of Jesus. They thought that they saw, and so therefore didn't know they were blind. And that's why Jesus says at the end, if you want to turn or look back there, verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. That's what he means by that. If you were blind, you would have no guilt, because then you would recognize that you need to be healed by Jesus in order to see. But now that you say, Well, we see, your guilt remains. And so the Pharisees kind of give us a picture of what it means to be blind and never opened to the healing power of Jesus because we don't need it. Now there's this moment in, in the, um, the Narnia books, in C.S. Lewis's books, it's actually the, the last book, The Last Battle. Um, some of the villains in that book are like these dwarfs. How many of you have read that? Raise your hand if you've read it. All right. So there are these dwarfs who, who, who kind of look, their face kind of has like this kind of weird grin, and, and, and there's this moment toward the end when the kids kind of come upon uh, these dwarves, and they're kind of they're huddled, right, in, in, in this um, together, all faced inward on one another. And, and the kids come upon them, and, and one of the kids actually starts to, I can't even remember who it was, but one of the, one of the children says, you know, um, what are you doing? And, and they kind of give like a, it's kind of a snide remark, and, and she's, she's trying to, to help them like recognize, come out of themselves, and, and, and she says, do you like smell this flower, right? And so she brings this flower, and, and she holds it up to, to one of the dwarves, and, and they say, well, that's an awful smell. Don't ever do that again. And, and then they begin to talk about how it's so dark in there where they are. It's so dark. And then she says to him, are you blind? She says to one of the dwarfs. And then the dwarf responds with this. No, we're here in the dark where no one can see. And then she tries to describe, but you're not in the dark. Look around you. There, like, there, there are these fields and it's green. And Aslan actually comes onto the scene and the earth sort of trembles and, and more green begins to grow. And they can't actually see it. No, we're not blind, but we're here in the dark because they're huddled into themselves that they can't actually see anything outside of themselves. And then Lucy says to Aslan, can you help them? Can you help these dwarfs? And he says, no, I can't because they're imprisoned by their own minds. They're so afraid of being taken in that they can never be taken out. And I think that's such an amazing picture of maybe what's going on with the Pharisees in this text and what can go on with us. That we're so afraid, like we're so huddled into our own sense of security, whatever that might be, right? I don't know what you find security in. I know for myself, I can find security in the way that I've always thought things were, the way I think things should be, um, my sense of, of, of being in and others being out. Like I can kind of huddle in, into that realm that I actually fail to see everything that's around me. Pharisees, the Jews, certainly, here's how the world is. Here's my place in the world. Those people are outside. I'm inside. 
and they can't ever see that they're living in the dark because they're just faced inward. But there's this whole other world around them. And Jesus makes it possible. If you look at that image of those dwarfs kind of huddled in, to be released from that and to regain a sense of the world as it is and the beauty and the wonder and the, the people around them. And I wonder if, if we as a church, if we as a people, that's a word for us that perhaps we are people stuck in the prison of our minds. We are people who are stuck in the blindness of ourselves and therefore we, we might miss, we might miss the work of God in Jesus among us. So what does it mean to see? It means to be opened to the possibility that we are blind and need the healing power of Jesus. What it means to see is to recognize all the different ways that I, that you, that we are huddled in to ourselves, not able to see the work of God around us. And I think that is something that God is up to in us, is that he's helping us to see. As a church, I think God is putting mud in our eyes. That God is, is, is coming upon us in fresh ways and working in such a way that we have stories to, to tell, to say, I don't know much. All I know is I was blind, but now I see. I mean, what an amazing story that we might have to tell as a community, and not just here in Grace Long Beach, but as a church in the world, that that is our story. I don't know much. All I know is I was blind, but now I see. And then as we come face to face with Jesus, he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And all we can say to him is, Lord, I believe. I mean, that is the good news of what God is up to in Christ is that in our blindness, God comes to us. And if we see that we are blind, then perhaps we might regain our sight to see the world, ourselves, our church, things that are going on for what they actually are and for what God is actually doing. I want to close with this, some verses from Psalm 36. I see it as a prayer, but a prayer of like aspiration of, of what I want to say and what I would love for us to say and for us to believe. How priceless is your unfailing love, O oh God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. In your light, we see light. May God, in Christ, be the one through whom we are able to see afresh ourselves and one another. And may God work in our lives in such a way that we might have the story to tell. I was blind, 
but now I see.'"